All right, how's it going? Welcome to episode 44, I believe. Is it 44? Let's have a look. Can't even keep up these days. God, this isn't going to do my rep for long-winded intros any good, is it? Yeah, episode 44 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. My podcast where I shine a light on the best action sports stories, some well-known, some less well-known, and some uh, hiding in plain sight, you might say. So this week, I've got a much-requested guest and a little fanfare, the first mountain biker on the show. Yeah, my guest this week is the great Tracy Mosley. Cue an avalanche of uh, looking forward gags out there in social media land. Now, Tracy's had an incredible career at the top of her sport and has a claim to be the UK's most successful and versatile athlete on any form of uh, bicycle, I would suggest. Don't believe me? Well, check out this list of achievements. Three times World Enduro Champion, 15 World Enduro wins, one World Downhill Championship, 16 Downhill World Cup wins, first uh, British World Cup win on home soil, seven times British National Champion, um yeah i mean it goes on and on check out our website for more of that and when you list that cv there's two things that stand out firstly there's the longevity two decades at the top of any sport is an achievement by any measure and then there's the versatility and the fact that tracy did this over uh, two distinct disciplines downhill and enduro now tracy called time on her career proper a couple of years ago retired would probably be too strong a word for somebody who's so driven and she recently became a mum for the first time, which meant a little bit of a first for the podcast as little 10-week-old Toby sat in for the first part of the pod, which explains some of the little uh, chirps and squeaks you're going to hear in the background. Now, in researching this one, I quickly realised something. Tracy's done a lot of interviews now, and I mean shitloads, and she always, always gets asked the same questions. It's a problem that I've discussed previously on the podcast. How much detail do you go into? how much of the same ground you cover. But looking back over that um, vast array of interviews, I did spot a few themes worth exploring. And I'm happy to say that we had a conversation that really covered where Tracy is now. I mean, of course, we covered some of that territory. When someone's had this incredible career, it's difficult not to. But overall, this one's a much more reflective look back over one of the UK's most impressive action sports careers. And it's also a really interesting insight into something massively obvious it doesn't really get covered much in any of the action sports media reconciling a career at the top of the sport with starting a family and how you try and balance the two which is where tracy is right now now the other thing that came up when i was researching this conversation with tracy were the words erudite articulate and thoughtful here is agree all her peers and admiring contemporaries somebody who is the very best spokesperson for mountain biking and the cycling lifestyle in general and one thing that really came through in this one and which for me explains her incredibly long career as a professional athlete. She's always had a really keenly developed sense of her own relationship with the bike and has listened to this and has let it influence the decisions she's made and ultimately the enjoyment she's got out of her career as an athlete. And that, that is the salutary lesson in this one. And I used the phrase hiding in plain sight deliberately, deliberately at the top of the intro. I mean, it'd be crazy to say that Tracy's underappreciated given that she's achieved so much. But like I say, she does have a claim to be Britain's most successful ever cycling athlete. But I'm willing to bet there are a few people listening who just don't know who she is, don't quite appreciate her status, 
and the measure of those achievements. And that is exactly why I got her on the podcast. So massive thanks, Tracy, for coming on the show with Toby. And also to my friend Emma Bebb at Heaven Publicity for all the help setting this one up. Yeah, here it is, my chat with Tracy Mosley on her life and career as one of Britain's most celebrated uh, mountain bikers. The long game. Enjoy. Tracy, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So come on. Who's this then? This is little uh, little Toby. Little Toby. So, ten week old first child of mine. Yeah. So it's been a quite an interesting change of of life, but he's looking pretty pretty chilled yeah, right there. Hoping to make a pretty chilled, laid back little boy. I quite but like the live intervention. I think on the on the conversation that'd be pretty good. It's the first yeah, it time was. I've I've had a baby sitting, so you know. You might you might get a few whimpers and yeah, random noises, yeah. and I can pretend they're not me. So that's probably going to be good. Yeah. So how <laughs> so how's he doing? Yeah, really good. I mean, I think it's it's certainly a huge. Everyone says you, it's a life change, and yeah. uh, until you've had one, I don't think you quite realise how how much your life change it is. Yeah. Um, but James and I determined to try and you know keep keep being adventurous, keep getting out on our bikes, and try and incorporate him as much as we can. Right. Um, but yeah, certainly those first few weeks, that's was pretty tough. Yeah. Sleep deprivation is a is a killer. Well, I guess um, as an athlete, you're kind of used to getting the sleep that you want, oh, right? Yeah, I'm used to. It. I'm an eight hour plus person. Right. So, I'm now probably living on four, maybe five if I'm lucky. And it's okay. interspersed, you know, in hour and a half, two hour, maybe three hour chunks. If right. It's a really good sleep. Were you a napper so, as well? Did you like a daytime nap? I, if I was training hard, then I would have an afternoon nap. Yeah. So yeah. it's just been yeah trying to get a chance to have a nap and try and do some exercise and do all the things I need to do with alongside having a baby. It's been quite a, yeah, it's been quite a challenging few weeks, but yeah. really looking forward to it. I think if, you know, I was ready at this point, I've left having a child until quite late in my career. I've done loads of, um, you know, loads of traveling, loads of stuff for myself. So now yeah. it's time to kind of embark on the next stage and hopefully be able to get him to come along as well this time. So, and you were just saying before we started recording, you've just been to uh, Cairngorm, right? Yeah, so First James- family trip? Yeah, James, my husband, uh, was doing a mountain bike leadership course. Okay. And uh, originally I was gonna stay at home and I thought, well, actually, may as well go so we right. hopped in the camper van thought okay. we'd test him out on his first trip and he was brilliant slept most of the way there right um and yeah then i took, took the chance to go up the funicular have a little look around and take toby up his first mountain i guess and okay. did some walks and yeah just for me being the outdoors and being in that environment is much I'm much more at home there and it was right. nice to be able to go and relax and and just see how we get on as a, a little family unit and it's yeah pretty successful so hope that's the first of many i was in the camper Fine, right? actually, yeah. Do you know, at this age, as long as they, someone's going to change their nappy, someone's going to feed them, and they can get enough sleep, I think they'd be happy wherever they are. Really, it doesn't, yeah. they don't know any difference. So no. it was, um, yeah, just being kind of practical with space. There's a lot of stuff you start having to take when you have a baby. Sure. So maybe one less bike each is going to have to, uh, right, have to be the the deal. So wow. we can put For a pram in the back instead. <laughs> sacrifices are starting already. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've been on the bike a bit though I've seen because I looked at your Insta obviously yeah I think and I uh, follow you on there and you've been you've had a few rides on you yeah I've tried to get back out in the last few weeks I've made a real effort to try and just do it is literally only an hour an hour and a half maybe but just to get back into it slowly and you know it's been probably now a year since I did anything proper serious you know in terms of training and riding so right just taking it steady and just enjoying being able to get out and enjoying the weather at the moment it's been amazing yeah How, have you found that that year then because obviously you're someone that likes to keep pretty busy and pretty fit you know one of the themes it seems from your career you've always had loads of projects on the go and you know that like a lot of different fronts as well not just the riding so yeah. how, how, how did you find that was that a bit of a transition to get used it, to it was I think the timing in some ways was quite quite good because um 
it didn't really tell anyone that I was pregnant until September, October time. So I still worked, did a lot of coaching with the British Cycling guys. Um, still did quite a few events in August, September, October. Obviously, I knew I was pregnant, but yeah. and uh, that was hard at times because the body is going through a big transition and I was trying to keep up with some of the cross-country girls and show them lines and huffing and puffing and thinking, oh. But um, I was determined to keep going. You know, I think I know my body well enough to know what's good and bad. And I felt like I wasn't taking you know any crazy risks and still right. being, keeping active and keeping fit, I think was more important than anything really when you're pregnant. So yeah. certainly until the end of the season, I managed to really maintain kind of a fairly normal schedule um okay and then fortunately kind of as it tailed off towards the winter I went to a few events chose not to kind of compete and just went along and helped out and then um slowed off towards I think the last ride I really did probably was around Christmas time right um and I think the advent of the e-bike's been a certainly for me was a, a saviour oh, really? during pregnancy Brilliant. you know you get the e-bike's very much one of those controversial kind of bikes and you love them or you hate them but yeah I think there's lots of situations and certainly for me during pregnancy it was amazing it meant that I was still able to ride I did a big ride on Christmas did a few even up until three weeks before I was um I gave birth I was still doing a few little kind of half an hour spins almost really? as much as I could just, just most things just uncomfortable it was the position it yeah. wasn't really anything else it was more just the the extra weight sitting on the saddle and just not being able to really get to the handlebars because there was a big bump in the way right um, okay but yeah the, certainly my e-bike was brilliant for that right and, um, you still get out and about exactly yeah exactly. which as you so, say is something that you're really used to doing so anyway yeah. that enables you to do that yeah it's got to be so really i really positive, tried isn't it? and i think you know it was winter time weather got worse you tend to kind of hibernate a bit more so in lots of ways i felt like i didn't really miss out on on a great deal um, right and obviously having him now in the spring probably a little bit slow getting going but hopefully i'm going to have the, the rest of the summer now to kind of enjoy and get a bit of fitness back slowly yeah and how are you feeling horrendous when i go out on the bike i really? have to say yeah it's yeah. like i've got two kind of tree trunks as legs there's like nothing happening there right but um it's already starting to progress only after a few weeks i think the body's quick to remember oh this is this is what i'm supposed to be doing yeah um but i think it's just hard because you know living on four or five hours sleep and then trying to do any exercise it's not it's not going to be a, no. a good combination so i've got no aspirations to try and you know get back and race in a few months time i need to just take it steady and just build that fitness slowly and yeah and enjoy enjoy having a baby because at the moment i mean he's already i feel like he's growing up so fast yeah that i know that everyone says you know enjoy it while, you, while you, it lasts because he'll be running around and us having to chase him before too long so yeah yeah just enjoying it and you did some coaching am i right when you were pregnant you yeah. did some qualifications yeah so i did um i did last year oh, i did a lot of hello. coaching with them um, oh he's come to wake <laughs> With the British Cycling uh, cross-country team. Probably the lights in there. Something's disturbing <laughs> him. Um, and I did the last little bit of coaching actually in, in February, um, just close to home. And I also finished off my own, um, so level three British Cycling coaches qualification, which enables me to now to prescribe training. Okay. Whereas up to now, I've done much more kind of skills-based stuff, which is much more my kind of forte. But I thought, you know, going forward, having a family, probably going to be a bit more home-based. Right. Being able to also add that, aspect of being able to help people with their fitness along with their skills would be a good kind of string to my bow so yeah did the lots of paperwork lots of kind of planning of training and year planners and stuff but yeah quite enjoyed that I managed to kind of fit that in um actually didn't quite finish before he was born but did the last little last little bit the last few weeks but it's right. finished now because you you were involved with younger riders aren't you and younger yeah. athletes that's that, like that mentoring role and through yeah. your coaching as well is something that you've you've been involved with for a while right yeah so i've kind of i think without really realizing when i first started racing i got given a kind of a an old team bike by one of the top riders at the time in the uk helen mortimer yeah and so from then i felt like it's something that i wanted to be able to re repay back in to a way pass on. to pass on and do the same thing in return yeah. so 
uh, yeah, about four or five years ago, I kind of, I'd finished racing downhill, the World Cup downhill circuit, and in theory was retiring and still wanted to kind of dabble at a few other disciplines. Yeah. And um, I kind of needed to make up a, a team name. Someone said, oh, you should call it Timo, short for Tracy Mosley. So I kind of created this Timo logo. And then since then, I've used that to kind of launch a little bit of a grassroots team that sort supported a number of riders that have gone on to be really quite successful. But a very low-key, just super fun no pressure, just giving them some good advice and not pushing them too much too soon and giving them yeah. a chance to experience. I'm a big fan of doing different disciplines, not just focusing on one thing, giving them that spread of skills, you know, they're being able to apply themselves and have the, you know, the fitness, the skills, the strength and just have fun with it as well, not take it too seriously too soon. Well, that's been a big feature of your career, hasn't it? Do you right? Just keep moving. Yeah, 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 sure. Go for it, yeah. Do a um, bit of dancing. Yeah, yeah. That, that's been a big feature of your career, obviously. You know, you mentioned the, the, the switch of disciplines and, and I'm sure we'll get to it like when you when you started, like the the, back, the specific background that you had. Is that something that you think more athletes could, could do with, could like to, to experience different disciplines and different areas of mountain biking? Yeah, I think so. And I think in every sport now, it, you get into the point where it's becoming so serious so yeah. soon. So you have to spe- it feels like and you've got to specialise You have to specialise and I think that your kids are getting pushed into... In, into being such serious athletes and so kind of structured at such yeah. a young age that they lose that fun and that's when you then start having the huge fallout rate when they get into their kind of teenage years because they've just they're burnt out they've done they've missed out being a kid they've missed out having fun and doing other stuff so for me I think that's where it's really important to make sure that there's a you know there's a, a big broad spectrum of, of of opportunities really so they can decide also what they really want to do yeah. um, and they can make sure it's fun because I want people to still be riding their bikes for their entire life, not just being amazing between the ages of you know eight and twelve, and then never want to ride a bike again. And that, yeah. you see that sometimes. You see that in lots of sports. So yeah, I think there's always that danger, isn't there, when you're so keen on something when you're when you're a kid, and then you try and take it into adulthood, and yeah. a lot of people can be waylaid, can't they, by the fact that they've taken it so seriously. So you're thinking like keep it fun keep it diverse is a good way of keeping Definitely. the interest I, I think basically. there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on they see the sponsor they see the kind of dollar signs and they think oh I can yeah. make money out of this and I can get this big sponsorship deal but actually are they going to be able to do it for more than a few years and are they going to enjoy it that's the important thing yeah oh, we might right? have to let him out yeah are we allowed to do a quick swap and yeah, of course tag we are. team him out yeah let's do it I'm gonna, let me take that good old daddy time there yeah there we, we can go swap over I mean that's one of the things I kind of noticed when I was researching this. One of the things that seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the question I want to ask really. It seems that you've always been really aware of your relationship with bike riding and not necessarily the disciplines. You know, it, it, it seemed like, you know, you were a kid, you started riding with your family um, and that gave you a certain impetus at that stage of your career. And then you moved on to downhill and from what I've read from other interviews where you've discussed this, it sounds like they got to a point where, the, where they thought, well, I need to change now because I'm, I'm enjoying different things about the experience of riding a bike, yeah. which was which was one of the sort of catalysts behind the move to Enduro. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Was, was that also something that was an influence on your decision to, to kind of retire, or, you know, retire in inverted commas, but to, to make that change as well? Um, I think one of the interesting things with me, I think, is that the whole journey for me and with my, throughout my career has always evolved. It's been evolving and it yeah. still is evolving, I would say. And that's what I mean. You've always seemed to have a really good awareness of that yeah, and, and, and what I, you need to do to keep your love for bike riding. Yeah, I think that's the important thing. Because I think when I first started, actually, I wouldn't say I really loved cycling. 
I was successful at something and that right. was my driving force when I first started when I was 15, 16, 17. Well, cause you, I was, there's a story that I've, that I've read a couple of times where you've said like, well, I was just trying to keep up with my brothers and you know, I entered yeah, a couple of races. Exactly. So, and um, I had no aspirations to be a professional cyclist. I hadn't, that was never a, you know, when they ask you these careers at school, what are you going to be? Probably a farmer to be fair. Cause I grew up on a farm and my yeah. parents are farmers. So how so, old were you at this point? Is this like 15? 15, 16. When my brother had started when he was kind of, He's two years older than me, so he was probably 14, yeah, probably 15, 16, the same. And I was a bit younger. Right. But again, we used to just play on the farm. Anything we did at home was always competitive. And I had this huge competitive drive that I guess just naturally was there. Whether we played table tennis, whether it was tennis, whether it was anything, I had to try and beat him even though I was younger. So we always were competing against each other. Right. Um, and so I guess when he started cycling, it was just natural for me to go, well, I'm going to try this too. So at the start, I was quite a lazy kind of, probably slightly overweight kid, but certainly really enjoyed sports was, and quite good at kind of hand-eye coordination was good. My skills right. were good on most sports at school. Um, so they were almost like the skill acquisition. Yeah, years. love love my yeah. netball, my hockey. Yeah. I think table tennis was a great thing we used to do after school and we did loads of stuff. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, he started competing. I used to go along, but it, I still wasn't really drawn by the cycling. I didn't love riding my bike. I hated right. riding my bike uphill. I just loved the adrenaline of the going downhill. And, so, you, and you were good at it. And I was good at it. So yeah. the success initially was the driving force for me. And it was actually not That's interesting. Not until probably a good few years later, I would say. And we're talking, you know, almost when I went to university. Even then, I didn't make the fact I went to Sheffield University. Right. I really regret now not really enjoying the Peak District more in terms of not just riding my bike, but climbing, walking, yeah. all the other things I could have done. I went to Sheffield as well. And ah. I, I, I definitely regret that as well. And yeah. And it was, <laughs> but I was so when I was racing a lot at that point so I was away racing and away racing and again I just didn't really I wasn't that excited by training I just wanted to go jumping and I wanted to go and play on my bike and race ride down all tracks so do you think that's a bit of a a feature of getting older you know that you that you look back and you think god I wish I'd done that yeah but I also in a way I don't regret it in some ways because you that's what that's what you like when you're young and it's only when you get older you appreciate so many more things yeah and it was it was with age that came this kind of appreciation of actually where the bike takes me kind right. of that that the idea journey. is the journey yeah. also the the health aspect the getting fitter the losing weight yeah the so many other aspects to it um and that's when actually this whole kind of love for cycling probably actually began rather than just this love for being good at something it happened to be on a bike right so it's it's in in those latter years i think and then particularly when i met james my husband he was um kind of grew up and spent loads of time in the lake district so much more of that kind of outdoorsy adventure side of, the, of biking and some of the stuff I then realized where we could go what we could actually ride up and ride down that weren't just racetracks they were just natural terrain that was out there yeah it, it kind of opened this door to me as to the other side of cycling and that was in turn of me having spent over 10 years just racing downhill traveling the world to the same venues riding the same one track that I always used to go and think Wow, and it's an amazing place. I bet yeah. there's more than one trail here, but obviously we were just racing that one trail. That's the so athlete then, bubble though, isn't it? Yeah, and it starts to think, well, actually I'd like to, I used to spend more time off riding around, you know, in exploring where I was and actually wanting to be on the downhill track. And that's right. when I started to realise that I needed to change. I needed something, something different. But for me, I still had this desire of wanting to become world champion. So that certainly in many ways, I would say dragged on a few more years if, you know, got me racing at it for a few more years than I probably would have done right um in terms of my enjoyment with it what a great way to develop it though the fact that you know you could personally 
develop and think, okay, I need to get something else out of this. Yeah. And directly apply it to your career. I mean, that's amazing. And then in many ways, the timing, I was just lucky. You know, the enduro thing had been bubbling around in France and Italy for quite a while, but we hadn't really heard of it in the UK. No. It wasn't a World Series. So when I finished down in 2011, James and I said, right, let's go out to Europe for the summer. Let's go and explore. I raced a bit of cross-country eliminator, some sprint stuff. I raced the Meg Avalanche. I did some of the kind of more traditional enduros as well. And just the timing of it it was exploding and then yeah. the following year 2013 was the first year of the world enduro so i kind of just accidentally found myself you know here we are doing another world cup series yeah and yeah. then obviously did another three four years well three years of those but aligned with again your own personal yeah massively because we were traveling yeah. we had the camper i was my own boss we were getting chance to explore everywhere in between the events i did loads of riding you know jumped out the camper ride up a call get picked up and just had had so much fun with it because it was all new i had to get so much fitter i had to really think about my diet think about my training all the things that i hadn't really done with down i just relied on pure you know skill and craziness i guess whereas yeah. now i was having to apply well, also, myself you, you were in your 20s weren't you yeah. so and, and and you do start to get a little bit more fearful let's be honest you yeah know, you don't bounce anymore when you get a bit older and you those crashes hurt it. a bit more yeah. you know your body's starting to to hurt from those crashes you had a few years back as well so it's all just a, a good timing thing, I think, in many ways that yeah. it, it was evolving just at the same time I was looking for something different as well. Yeah. And one of the other themes that I've noticed is, you know, you seem, you've talked about how you experimented quite a lot. You know, you, you experimented with nutrition and training and equipment. You know, you were quite happy to, to try different things that were going to help you perform better. Is that is that something you've always had throughout your career like that that Not, thing? Or did that also develop as your career Yeah, developed? I think it definitely developed. I think it developed through having the opportunity to be on a team um that put a lot of time into the, the testing and certainly my my kind of early years with um with both well Cannondale was my first sponsor Volvo Cannondale team and they had quite a bit of kind of input into developing the bikes I then had a, a mechanic at, at Kona Bikes for many years he was great at testing he wanted to get us better and better and you know we were testing different suspension setups different tires and then when I moved for Trek then that was you know a huge big engineering department behind us we would had a new downhill bike in 2009 that they wanted to launch and the testing we did with the suspension with the frames with geometry all those opportunities that i got then enabled me to learn more i guess and okay. to also appreciate and, you're, and you what a difference that. it can make yeah oh, massively i mean yeah, I'm, yeah. it's interesting because i'm not mechanically minded at all like right. i hate working on my bike i'm not particularly good at it i'm oh, not really? very practically minded in terms That's of how to fix things right I, I can do enough to get by you almost think you get that by default osmosis no i mean you know yeah i probably understand quite a bit but i don't enjoy doing it you don't at enjoy all. doing it yeah um me neither but but i like to i can talk about how my bike feels but i couldn't tell you why i right. couldn't tell you the ins and outs of suspension setups and you know how the circuits of oil and damping works yeah you not a clue you can't fully geek out no, no. but i can tell the engineer it yeah. does this in this at this speed or on this bump and that's all they actually want to know from an athlete they don't want you to start trying to understand that's their job yeah to do that but they just want this feel and the the perception of you from a rider so I guess that's kind of how it worked, but it's made me realise that there's time to be gained from thinking about these things. Yeah, you know that classic marginal gains that we all heard from yeah. Dave Railsford and the Team Sky guys. There's a lot to be said for for that. There's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, um, and if you apply that to everything you do, and certainly I was doing that with the enduro, thinking about rolling resistance with tires, you know, carrying the spares, making sure I've got everything. Yeah, look, just looking at all little little different areas. Um, it does make a difference, and I think yeah. it's important. So, where's your relationship with the bike now? Um, do you know what? Right now, it's just this amazing tool for me to be able to get out, escape, have some of my time, some freedom, um, and be. It's a for me. It's that. It's a journey. It's a. 
an adventure thing as well. I really get, I'm amazed always like just how far you can go on a bike and you kind of look like, wow, I've just climbed all the way from there to here. Yeah. That's amazing. On, on my power, you know, there's nothing else been involved in that. Um, and the opportunities that it's given me, that's another thing that I still find incredible, you know, still getting chance to travel, getting chance to meet amazing people involved, you know, have that same passion. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it is truly an amazing sport and an amazing way of traveling and of, of having a healthy lifestyle really. Yeah. And do you have any ambitions left with it or like goals that you've, I know you said earlier, like you just concentrating on the, you know, the near future. Yeah. But have you got anything that you, that you've in the back of your mind that you're thinking I'm could still, be some... I'm, I'm a racer, I'm like a yeah. competitive. So if I said I wasn't going to go back and have a go at a few races in the future, I'd, yeah. I'd probably be, uh, I'd be lying. But right now I wouldn't like to say what that is and when, but I'm pretty sure that I'm going to, you'll see me back out there competing probably not you know not chasing the full enduro world series yeah but i probably have a stab at one or two in the future because it's where i i love i love that environment i love being there. i love challenging myself um yeah. so i'm sure that yeah i'll still find something to to push me push myself and give my give, give it i need a goal i need a yeah I need a target i need something to kind of aim for that's just how it makes me tick and i Is enjoy that having your makeup that. you know yeah. you need to like set a goal and kind yeah, of build towards that super big planner i mean i'm actually yeah. involved now with helping plan the enduro the trek team's logistics while i'm right. kind of on maternity leave maybe you could call it yeah um so i'm still involved in a lot of that and i, I enjoy that organizational side of of my life and obviously organizing others now as well so right how's that squaring with being uh being a new mum then not too bad actually because it's i can do it from home i can yeah. do it when he's having a quick nap and i'm feeding i can you know today i've been on the phone doing a few plannings for the next rounds and yeah it, it fits in quite nicely that i know what needs to be done i've got the experience of knowing you know where the guys want to stay what they want to get from it um and yeah being able to work from home and have a flexible hours it's pretty good at the minute really yeah, yeah working out well so you mentioned obviously that you've got this competitive drive that's that's been been consistent you know um was there a did you get did you need a different motivation for the different disciplines did you get different different satisfactions or did you have to approach them differently because obviously they're like you've mentioned a couple of times they're pretty different yeah forms of mountain biking aren't they you know yeah. downhill and enduro they're very different sports essentially yeah. so did you did you find that evolved as well like the satisfaction that you yeah because you, you got the, out of the it? downhill thing is a funny one because there's it's so much pressure on that one on that one run that one moment that there's so much kind of build up of of tension that actually when when the race is done it, it's almost like you are you're super happy and you want to you want to kind of celebrate but it's actually almost a bit of relief it's like thank goodness now that kind of the pressure's over yeah um so that was kind of always a funny one because everyone's like oh you're not happy that you've just won and it was just like yeah i am but it's just like it's this massive relief that all that kind of stress because that one run to get perfect is a mental game you know that's yeah. the hardest thing was with the enduro i think it was so much more of um there was so much more build up to it. Those days of practice, the preparation, like the changing stuff, being able to survive a full weekend of racing as well. There's such a big mental highs and lows that you go through. Whereas downhill, it's just pure focus, top to bottom. Whereas the enduro, you go through the feelings of feeling great, feeling terrible, yeah. fixing your bike. You really got to manage your emotions so right. much and okay. getting to the end of a weekend just felt like a huge sense, huge achievement. Really? Like it really was like... So, so almost that that whole process yeah. was as satisfying as the victories yeah. and the competitive, exactly. the, you no. know, the classical competitive exactly. I think against it, another athlete, let's say. Yeah, I think for me as well, because it was a new sport, it was a new challenge for me to really yeah. kind of, to learn a lot about myself and to kind of work it, work it out as I was going. Yeah. Um, and I think because the sport was new for everyone we were all kind of in that same journey it was a really exciting you know first year or so of the 
of the series anyway. Yeah. And what was the camaraderie like between you and your, your fellow competitors? Really good. Really good. I mean, yeah. I think I've always, I'm again, I'm, I'm super competitive and I, I've always felt like it's quite hard to be best mates with the person that you're competing yeah. against at that level. But again, with, with, with mountain biking and certainly with downhill and even enduro, you're against the clock. You're not actually physically shoulder to shoulder with the, with the other rider. Yeah. So I think that takes away some of that ability to still kind of be able to socialize, be good friends with them, because actually you're not going to knock each other off in the first corner. You've got to do your race against the clock. And I sure. think that for me changes the, the dynamic of it and enables us. And you're all suffering at the same time. You're all out there kind of, you know, sometimes getting from one stage to the next can be a pretty pretty tough ordeal and yeah. you kind of you want to help each other spur each other on and really make it you know a, a good day so it's yeah it was brilliant i really enjoyed it and you know you mentioned the fact that the, the enduro scene was evolving at the same time you know and and as female athletes as well did it did, did that create a bit more camaraderie that you felt like you were creating something that you, that you felt like you were working towards something yeah i think so i think for me the really exciting thing with the enduro was that we were starting to attract more female races coming from cross country from downhill and now straight into enduro yeah i think for me it was great seeing bigger fields with downhill i felt like the the kind of the, the glory days when i first started racing we had huge big fields and it felt like it was dwindling 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 yeah whereas now the enduro thing felt like it was new when we were actually starting to get to those days where we we're attracting more people and i think it's a really great format for for women to get into the into the sport and to start being competitive without it being too too daunting too kind of scary like the downhill really can be quite intimidating when you look at some of the tracks and think wow i've got to ride down that you know today right now yeah whereas the enduro it's generally everything generally everything's rideable it's a little bit more i guess as well because you're riding with other people it's a kind of more of a social aspect so it's not just that scary concept of you against the clock you know 100 percent go let's risk everything there's a lot more of the of this the, the bike riding side of yeah. the enduro really i think that's yeah. the thing the enjoyment of actually pedaling your bike somewhere nice yeah i think that's really important for women to be able to just have a social at it as well at the same time we yeah, all yeah. We like to chat do you can have a good chat if you can breathe at the same time as pedaling up a hill so it's yeah certainly a really nice format i think to encourage more one of the themes that's been coming out from speaking to female athletes on the podcast is, has definitely been that sometimes it's more difficult for women basically because they're judged differently from men is that is that something that you ever experienced in your career? I'm sure it's a question you've yeah, been asked. Yeah, it's before. funny. I mean, that whole kind of you yeah. know, how have you survived in a male-dominated world question comes out a lot. Well, and I wouldn't quite put it that dramatically. No, but, but like <laughs> culturally, you can't. It can't be denied that you know it. It can, women can be judged differently from men. So yeah, I think I think definitely. I think I've been very fortunate that I don't feel like I've been. Um, that's happened to me, I guess. Um, right. I think possibly growing up with my brother, with all his mates, it just I immersed myself into the into the sport, and I treated myself almost the same as one of them, as if I was one of them. And I think that's helped them treat me like that, almost. Whether that's some people might find that they don't want to be treated like a boy, or they don't want to be they want to be seen separately. But actually, I just wanted to be part of the group and part of the and to be to be taken as seriously as well. I think that's yeah. the important thing. If you if you put yourself on the line and you you, know, you you become part of that group then they'll also take you seriously and respect you for it and i certainly for me i've had nothing but you know really good experiences super well respected and i think of yeah i've i've been fortunate i've not had any any struggles along the way and felt like it's just been yeah it's been it's been part of the the scene just like as if i was one of the guys yeah do you think that well i think from what i've heard you say before that it sounds like that definitely helps as well your development you know like like i sort of said earlier that sort of skills acquisition part of you 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 know when you were a young bike rider basically like 13 14 15 try to keep up 
with those like with your brother and that kind of thing do, do you think do you, do you look back and think that was something that gave you a good foundation oh amazing yeah and i think that's again i encourage certainly girls particularly that we, often you miss out you know you see groups of lads you know doing skids and wheelies together in a group around the yeah. estate or on the yeah, park course, or wherever yeah. yeah you don't often see girls doing that so i'm a big advocate for trying to make sure that girls they realize how important that is because your skill base is what's going to set you up to be a good bike rider and also have the confidence really. yeah. and it's always when it comes to the you know, the technical section on a course that's where the women lack the confidence because oh, i'm not sure i can do that big jump and yeah i mean i'm not even the best now i wouldn't be able to do the same jumps as the guys but you know when it comes to kind of more techie kind of terrain i'll, I'll give stuff a go and i've you put yourself in the mix with it if you've got the the background and the, the confidence to do it then that definitely helps rather than always having that because naturally i think we are a bit more fearful as a as a as a as a sex we need to be we're kind of that mothering instinct i guess yeah but having grown up in in that male environment you kind of you get pushed and you kind of realize that you can maybe get a bit more out of your of your kind of yourself than your body almost allows you to sometimes yeah yeah so I think that's important i'm really interested in what you were saying earlier though about the fact that you just you know you did it as a kid and you and you you enjoyed it from a competitive point of view insofar as like being part of the group and 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 then you competed and you were good at it and you were surprised that you were good at it. Where do you think that ability came from? You know, because it, it's not like today, you know, you might take a 15-year-old athlete. I'm sure you know a lot of 15-year-old athletes who perhaps are, are thinking, I'm going to be a professional mountain biker. You know, I'm going to specialize in this discipline or whatever. You know, as you've been saying, wasn't like that when you were 15 at No, I mean, all. the coaching, the pathways that all these athletes have now is crazy. Yeah, exactly. Crazy, so, yeah. So you completely different mindset but you still have the ability as as perhaps some of these uh, these kids today completely different mindset completely different background like you say pathway however you want to phrase it so where, where what do you put that down to have you thought about that where that maybe came from i honestly think it is just it was um it was just from those years of being a kid and playing yeah you know there was no coaching i've never had any coach never had any structure and we didn't know really what we were doing we would just put planks and bricks we were just kids making challenging each other yeah you know there wasn't any thought behind it as to what we were trying there was no end goal there was no you know no nothing where we thought we were going to make a career out of this or a living or anything it was just we were just wanting to be kids and, and playing and having that competitive kind of just challenge with each other so yeah. i think just having that that base and i guess maybe i think for me the other sports living living on a farm that outdoorsy kind of lifestyle um playing lots of we did so many sports as you know at school, I remember doing gymnastics. I think that's an amazing thing for your learning around, you know, your body position in space and your control. And um, table tennis again, hand-eye coordination, lots yeah. of tennis. Um, just, yeah, my hockey, my netball. I, I would have a go at anything, volleyball. Yeah. So I think just that whole roundedness of, you know, being being in charge of your own body, you know, yeah. your balance, I think is really important with mountain biking. Um, some speed, wanting to go fast. You know, we were driving tractors, we were driving quad bikes and stuff from a really early age so again maybe that helps yeah in terms of speed perception and you know line choice all those kinds of things i don't think there's any one thing i think it's just the the lifestyle that we we had as kids and the we just played out we yeah. played out the entire time yeah yeah you know um didn't read many books <laughs> didn't we didn't have the computer games we didn't have any of that stuff we right. just dug dams you know dug holes played in the mud yeah and yeah, played outside as kids. And I think that's a huge development as part of your, your skill set and your yeah. ability to move your body in space and control objects and, and have a good good judge of speed and timing and all that kind of stuff comes from so many things. Yeah. So is there a point at which you, you kind of thought, ah, oh, I could, 
maybe there is such a thing as a mountain biking career. You know, maybe I could be professional at this. Yeah, I think it, again, it slowly evolved because a few people, even my first few races said, oh, you know, you need to take this more seriously. You could be really good at this. But I was still kind of like, oh, I need to go to school. I need to do my A-levels. I went to university. I felt like I still needed that education. Yeah. Not that I had any clear what I wanted to do with it, but it's it felt so like young, that was the... So young at that age, aren't you? To it's, think it's about the thing, that. It's the thing you're supposed to do, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I could do it. Um, I enjoy doing biology. I enjoyed learning about the human body. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, but again, I haven't really used it in any way. But um, yeah, no plans at all with it. And I think it was only until I really was at university and I got the opportunity to kind of, you know, to get sponsored by a team. And even then, sponsorships every year for me has been good, bad. You know, it's a roller coaster. It's not like you've got a, a 10 year contract and you know you've got a job for 10 years. No. It's not like that at all. So. It really is year by year. And I remember saying to quite a few of the, the people in the industry, like, oh, you know, just, it's great while it lasts, but I can't imagine it's going to last much longer. And I remember saying that and then years have rolled on and rolled on. And, you know, 20 years later, it's, you know, never ever in my wildest dreams imagined that I'd still be involved in the bike industry and, you know, having been competing and racing this long and, and making a career out of it. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Do you look, again, it's a classic question, but I'm going to ask you because you have achieved so much. Do you, do you look back? Is there a moment that stands out? from from your achievements i think the one one of the most memorable for me is always going to be that first ever world cup downhill win which was in fort william yeah. in scotland one of the um, first events up there as well right it was the first ever yeah. world cup to be at fort william um i was the first british woman to win a world cup downhill race yeah, so there's lots of first lots of kind of history huge milestone um huge personal milestone and, home turf yeah and it, super unexpected <laughs> that's the thing well it wasn't right. like you know my world champs in, in lots of ways people think oh that must be that must be the one thing you wanted it for, you know for so long and you were trying to achieve it but actually in some ways achieving something that you weren't expecting is, is even more of a surprise and even more kind of etched on your memory forever really so yeah so yeah that for me was pretty special yeah i mean the other thing to say about the career you've had is, is it's so physically demanding you know it's it, it must i imagine be pretty full on for your body for your health is that is that something that you've had to deal with or have you have you noticed that, that as you got older it was taking a, a toll really yeah I think I think in some ways as well I, I was I've been pretty you could call it lucky I don't know whether it's luck or whether it's just good kind of good planning in a way but I don't I've been really fortunate with the amount of times I've had serious injuries and I think a lot of that is because I've always had that self-preservation button that has still been there. I was never prepared just to kind of chuck myself at something before I knew I could do it. So there was always a little bit that possibly held me back on the downhill. Um, and I also think maybe my education, learning about my body, the human body, learning about injuries, what you have injured, when you need to take time off. Right, you're always you know, quite... I was quite body aware and quite conscious. Quite good at that. Um, I spent an awful lot of money on physio and massage and yeah. looking after my body and making sure that I had surgery on stuff when it needed to be done soon so it didn't deteriorate further. Um, and I think I've been quite smart in that sense and I've tried to look after my body as much as I can. And even now, I mean, I still try and make sure I have regular massage and I make sure I'm, I'm trying to stay in you know, decent shape, look after myself. And, yeah. but even having a little one, I've started to realize that you know, both wrists have been broken and just holding, holding him in certain positions, like wrists are hurting and their right. backs hurting and yeah. just stuff that you, you know, you train for something, your body becomes very good at that one thing. But actually when you do something completely different, like I am now, it's like, you start to start to realize there's a few things that are going to, they're definitely, I'm going to have a lot of arthritis and be probably quite a, a crickety creaky old, old lady in a few years time. But I've had a pretty good time in the process getting there. So just try and do the best I can and look after it as much as I can. Yeah. 
I mean, concussions obviously fairly big issue in yep. your sport. Um, what What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's something that's dealt with adequately in in the sport? No, I mean, I think it's it, it's great that it's becoming more to the forefront. I think as well. I think it's something that we've all ignored. We've all yeah. really, in a way, just been quite naive and not known anything about it. Or it happens just not in a lot of sports, taught. though, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, like it's coming out in all the sports and now. I think like it's rugby, just, it's yeah. huge. The time, I think lots of people have kind of not wanted to talk about it either or not not really realised the, the, the repercussions of it in many ways. Um, it's a really interesting ethical debate, isn't it, as well? Because it's kind of about, you know, obviously people go into these activities of their own free will, you know, and there's, there's that kind of slightly yeah. murky ethical area, isn't there? That well, it's, it's even now, look, at we've got, I've got, I've got a son and yes, I'd love him to get involved in riding a bike because that's our passion in our life. Yeah. But it does make me think, would I want, would I push him into doing downhill racing? Hmm, not sure. Right. You know, you do because you think the inherent dangers are much higher than maybe racing cross country, for example. But even then, there's danger in anything we do. Yeah. And you can't wrap each other, wrap someone up in cotton wool, but you have to do, you do start to think about things differently. And, yeah. you know, we, yeah, I've hit my head a good few times, but I think, unfortunately, they've never been that bad we've not been that in succession i think that's probably the issue isn't it? a lot of the time people are having one and then another impact quite soon and the the consequence of that but also we're all different as well we don't know how we all react to it so there's so much learning to still be done yeah um and i just think the education is the most important thing with it um and people being being well protected making sure they've got good equipment making sure they are fit and strong and they're not just doing stuff without having that you know the rest of the body to go with the skills as well than just chucking themselves at a jump that they might not be able to do so yeah it's just got, limiting those up. risks i think a little bit is is sensible but yeah we, we'd have no fun if we didn't do anything that didn't have some risks associated with it that's yeah. the thing yeah i've definitely got a few friends that are guilty of um of that for sure winging themselves off things they should yeah got no business going yeah. there basically yeah you've got to i always say look before you leap and you've got to build those skills yeah you know you've got to work to that point where you you have a pretty good kind of ratio as to yes i'm going to do it or no i'm not going to make it you know if, if it's lower than 50 50 then probably i'd wait <laughs> yeah you know i think there's you have to think about these things yeah 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 <laughs> sure so you've got a great overview obviously of the whole industry and the whole competitive arena and the different disciplines do you feel good about the way that mountain biking is right now yeah i think it's really quite exciting i think there's so many aspects to the sport now um it's almost confusing for many people to have kind of to know where to start it's or a lot to of know, entry points eh? yeah to know which yeah. is the, the discipline they want to take up and they want to pursue um but i think for me the most exciting part of it is that actually you don't have to compete just to enjoy riding your bike yeah. you don't even have to go to a trail center and ride your bike you can actually just go out on the old bridle work network or do some dirt roads there's you know we okay our access isn't as good as we possibly would like we don't have that you know same as scotland the right to roam but we have a lot of amazing places that we can go on our bike and even on the road, you know, amazing lanes. You just, just going out and actually enjoying riding a bike, I think is, is such an amazing thing and a, and a really cheap way in, in many ways. Okay. The bike may be expensive to start with, yeah. but you've got no monthly gym fees. You've got none of that kind of paying for a class. It's actually quite a cheap form of exercise once you've got the bike and the kit. I mean, and, your, um, your career's sort of, again, almost perfectly mirrored the explosion in 
in the popularity of cycling as well really hasn't it you know from when you started 20 years ago to what we see certainly now. in terms of mass participation i almost feel like yeah, the actual that's what i mean the yeah. racing side was almost bigger in those kind of late 90s well that was like the the, the, the boom the, of the, the the america kind of side exactly whereas, whereas now it's kind of shifted and the racing's still in you know a good level but this this kind of just entry level people wanting to be fit they wanting to exercise they wanting to you know cycling is a really nice way of doing all ticking all those boxes in many ways so what do you put that increased popularity down to like of, of participation um because obviously I cycling think... is a you know in terms of um funding you know it's it's a bit of a flag waver for the idea that you'll fund professional athletes and it'll filter down you know there's but a that's bit of very a, much just a road isn't it i mean to be classic... quite honest mountain biking is not really benefiting massively from from that funding because you know it's only for olympic sports but it's definitely increasing in visibility generally i was going to say i yeah. think what it has done though is just increased the visibility of cycling yeah. as a whole um i think the road of road cycling had a massive boom but i think people are realizing that road cycling is not actually the nicest thing to do because the roads are dangerous especially over here and so actually then we think oh, we will go and ride on the gravel roads and then mountain biking comes yeah. so i think it's actually we've we've done quite well off the back of the road cycling to be quite honest yeah. and um I think that's been good to see and also people just wanting to be to be healthier i think there's a huge big push to you know try and make our our nation a little bit healthier than it than it has been um getting the fresh air and becoming a bit more in control of our own our own destiny our own health and our own well-being mentally maybe as well yeah um and i think that's again a bit been a really big kind of surge into people looking for you know an outdoors fresh air all those kind of things that that's cycling can bring to you so what, um, there'll be a lot of people listening to this, you know, that are kind of weekend mountain bikers and maybe road bikers. What what advice would you give them to kind of improve their experience or, you know, get more enjoyment out of it? I think one of the biggest things to me is going different places. Yeah. I think it's very easy to get stuck in loop. that same route that you do. Yeah. You know it well, you know you can do all the features, you know how long it takes you. Yeah. But for me, most of the enjoyment that comes with cycling is, is seeing new stuff, is the travel, is the adventure side. So... And also the challenge of going somewhere new. We have such an amazing variety of terrain in the UK, you know, to riding rocks in the peaks to rooty stuff in Wales or, you know, this, we have such a, a huge, big, diverse kind of vegetation and, and places to ride. And if you went and did all the trail centres, you'd get a massive array of, you know, of challenges. to. So just, yeah, travelling, having a good group of friends to do it with. So that social side, having a bit of a holiday with it, just, yeah, stretch yourself outside your comfort zone and go and see somewhere new and enjoy it on your bike because that's another area in this country particularly that's just exploded isn't it the number of trail centers and like yeah. how accessible they are as well yeah definitely yeah and anywhere left on your bucket list i mean obviously you spent 20 years traveling the world cycling road mountain biking road biking whatever you know like anywhere anywhere left anywhere that you still oh there's like? loads of places i yeah. mean there's still i've really touched the surface with um with most of them really and often gone back to the same place to you know like i said to, to do races but i'd love to do a bit more of kind of bc canada that yeah. kind of area i think i've done very little really and would love to do a bit more exploring there a lot um, of the ski resorts are now are now doubling up they are yeah yeah i and was in, over in big white and and silver yeah. star in in march and yeah they're all throwing money at yeah them, basically. so there and then south america did, did stuff in chile but i'd love to have gone kind of further south into patagonia and i mean you name it anywhere really there's there's a there's some good good scenery to be seen and some good trails yeah. you could you could travel you could spend the rest of my life traveling and, and never get to see it all so yeah. yeah it's anywhere that's new and somewhere that we can explore and see what's out there I'd, I'd love to go but yeah i've done plenty as well i've got to be pretty happy with i'd be happy even exploring more of my own 
my own home turf, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, right. There's plenty of places in the UK that I've still not ridden. So yeah. haven't done anything around London. None of the kind of um, Pease Lake, what's the North North Downs and all the yeah, riding yeah. that's on the outskirts of here. I've never, ever done any of it. Right. So okay. there's, we always look far beyond our own doorstep. But actually, James and I last year said we're going to go and ride somewhere new each month. That was our kind of New Year's resolution. But that's just nice within, you know, within a fairly small radius of home. And right. um, we didn't achieve the whole year, but we certainly did a few new places. And that's actually something I'm enjoying now with my kind of an hour's limit of my ride. I'm kind of almost going back to those original little loops that I used to do when I first started riding because that's Brilliant. the fitness I had was just to go on the local bridleways and stuff. So yeah, yeah. yeah there's so much. And um, just yeah, getting a chance to go somewhere and just explore different places is, is great. Yeah. Well, we probably should wrap it up, really. Get you back to Toby and James. I can hear him not, screaming. Yeah, I've not heard anything. <laughs> I think he's doing all right. Um, last question. A bit of a classic looking sideways question, this one. Um, so if you could give yourself or even somebody that you, you, you know, acts as a mentor to today, one bit of advice that you've learned, what, what would that be? Um, just to throw that one at you. I think, I think I always go back to this kind of the look before you leap thing I mentioned earlier. And I think it's just that being, being sensible with the, with those risks that you take. I think that's the biggest thing. You right. know, I want people to enjoy riding their bike for a long time. And I see so many people that have, big big accidents that didn't need to happen that, right that really didn't need to happen if okay. you'd have if you'd have thought about it prepared more or even just taken one step back you know build those building blocks slowly yeah um and don't try and you know run before you can walk all those kind of things it's just like be patient with it but you'll enjoy it for much longer if you do yeah brilliant well thanks for your time no really, problem. really great thank you great thanks so there you go that was my chat with tracy and uh, yeah real pleasure to meet tracy and the clan do let me know if you enjoyed it via the usual mediums. Share the thing on social. Drop me a line at podcast at wearelookingsideways.com and all the rest. And let me know which other two-wheeled athletes you want me to get on here. Guessing there's a few obvious ones. Yes, I have been trying to get Danny McCaskill on here for about the last year um, with very little success from some extremely diffident team managers and uh, agents and all the rest. Danny himself just ignoring my emails. What can you do? But yeah, let's see who else we can chat to and uh, and get on here. Okay, some housekeeping corner stuff, which I've got to say is proving surprisingly popular randomly enough. So firstly, I need to tell you about something that we're organizing as part of my day job, which is helping to run a company called All Conditions Media. Now we're running an event in London between Tuesday the 22nd and Thursday the 24th of May 2018. Fact fans. And as part of that, we're holding two evening events featuring quite a few friends of the podcast, which is why I raise it here. So the first one is a discussion around the issue of single-use plastic being helmed by renowned environmental journalist Lucy Siegel and featuring contributions, contributions should I say, from episode 25 guest Hugo Tagholm, ocean advocate Emily Penn, and surf photographer and the tireless organiser of the plastic project, Tim Nunn who I will also be interviewing for the podcast. And then the next night we're doing a roundtable, Thursday the 24th of May, we're doing a roundtable discussion around the issues faced by women in action sports, which is being chaired by journalist Sam Haddad, and which features episode nine guest Leslie McKenna, two-time guest Sophie Hellier, and mountain biker Manon Carpenter. Both should be really fun nights. I'm afraid they are full, so we can't have anyone else there, but you can still get involved, which is why I'm bringing it up by tuning into our Facebook live stream of both events, which is kicking off on both days. Just to reiterate, that's Wednesday the 23rd of May 
and Thursday the 24th of May 2018. So you can join wherever you are in the world, thanks to the wonder of modern technology. To do that, you're just going to need to like the All Conditions Media Facebook page and then be online at 7pm Greenwich Mean Time for the talks as they happen. You'll be able to contribute observations and questions to the guests as well. What a time to be alive, eh? Secondly, well, it's competition time. Now, I don't normally do stuff like this, to be honest, but I thought, fuck it, why not when I got asked to do it? So I'm giving away two tickets to the forthcoming Black Deer Festival, which is being held in Kent over the weekend of the 22nd to the 24th of June 2018. That's Kent in the United Kingdom, if you're one of my uh, overseas listeners. It's a new festival of Americana and country, which is right up my strassa. Little known fact, I do play in a country music covers band, which is something that people always find hilariously funny. But I do enjoy it, and I'm probably going to go along to this one. So 80 bands over six stages, a UK festival exclusive from Jason Is Isbell, I think you pronounce it. Iron and Wine headlining, fast rising UK surf musician Colin McLeod is playing. Should be good. Check out www.blackdeerfestival.com think i'm going to be conducting an interview while i'm there which should be good but yeah they've asked me to give away two adult weekend camping tickets um so i thought i'd get involved and here we are so to win these two tickets which have a value of 150 quid each you simply need to purchase an item of merch from the looking sideways store www.lookingsideways.tmail.com and then send me a picture of yourself wearing said schmutter for me to share on social and then I'll pick a winner from that. Now, obviously, this is a fairly nefarious means of getting people to buy more merch and helping me promote the podcast by stealth. I make absolutely no apologies for that, to be honest. Uh, it's a pretty good deal if you ask me. Like I say, tickets are 150 quid each. The t-shirts are 19 quid. I mean, you know, it's a good return. Plus, no fucker ever enters these things anyway. So uh, if you do enter, the odds are pretty high that you might actually win and find yourself in Kent for this festival over the weekend of the 22nd to the 24th of June. So I await my inbox to be bulging with the uh, submissions eagerly. Okay, that's it for this week. Um, I've got a busy few weeks of podcast recording coming up with some good names on there. Like I say superstition means i'm not really gonna say who they are until i've got them in the bag but yeah in the meantime hope you enjoyed this one have a good one and i'll catch you next time nice one (laughs) 